frankly, that is the case with many Christians. Many Christians. This is what they don't do. They don't forgive others. Well, Jesus is an answer to that scenario, and he does answer it by giving us the third reason we should forgive those who sin against us. Number one, God's forgiveness has no limits. Number two, forgiven sinners are expected to forgive others just as they've been forgiven. But the third reason that our Lord gives in this parable as to why we should forgive others who sin against us is because God will discipline us if we don't forgive others. It's been said that failure to forgive is like trying to kill rats by drinking the poison yourself. Not only do we have no right whatsoever to withhold forgiveness, we do great damage to ourselves in the process. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will be wrapping up a three-part message from Matthew 18 about marriage and forgiveness, part of a series of messages on the biblical marriage. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We've looked at the biblical marriage from several angles so far. First, we considered how a spirit-filled couple would treat each other. Then we looked at Adam and Eve's relationship both before and after the fall. Now we're looking at one of the very most important ingredients in a healthy marriage, forgiveness. Jesus, responding to Peter's question in Matthew 18 about how many times he should forgive someone, told an incredibly powerful parable. In the story, a king forgave one of his servants for a debt that was impossibly large. Just a crazy number. This servant went right out and found someone who owed him a more manageable amount and demanded to be repaid on the spot. The second debtor begged for more time, just as had the first man. But unlike the king, the man who had been forgiven was unwilling to forgive someone else. He doesn't sound so nice, does he? But we better be careful before we think too harshly of him. Here's Pastor Steve to continue. Now, it's easy to read the story and get an attitude, get angry at this man who's been forgiven so much, yet he didn't extend forgiveness to this other man for the paltry sum of money that he owed him. But folks, that's exactly what we do. As those who have been forgiven by Christ, every time we refuse to forgive someone who sins against us, that's exactly what we do. That's the point of the story. You see, this first servant at the beginning of the parable, at that point, he was a picture of every unbeliever. But that changes. That changes. He was a picture then of an unbeliever picture of us before we were Christians, before we were saved. But once he was forgiven by the king, his immeasurable debt, the picture changes. Then he becomes a picture of every completely forgiven believer in Christ. He becomes a picture of us, if you know Christ, of every believer who has been completely forgiven in Christ, and that means all believers. Because of Christ's death as our substitute, sin bearer, God has forgiven us an infinite amount of sins, yet so often we refuse to forgive someone who sins against us, especially our spouse, once, twice, seven times, or 490 times. You see, in response to Peter's question, which started this whole thing, How many times should I forgive my brother or my spouse when they sin against me? Jesus is now giving him the answer right here. The answer is every time and without any limit. And why is this the case? Simply because you have been the recipient of God's unlimited grace and mercy in your life. Therefore, God expects you to do the same for others. That's exactly what the rest of Scripture teaches For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, 
This is so critical. Ephesians chapter four, let these words sink in, absorb them. Ephesians four, starting at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Let that sink in. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Listen, every time you refuse to forgive someone who sins against you, you know what you're being? You're being self-righteous. Self-righteous, you're being proud. You have forgotten how much you have sinned against God. You've forgotten that. You've forgotten how many times you have broken the Ten Commandments, outwardly, inwardly. You've forgotten your own sin. You've forgotten how much God has forgiven you. You're like the self-righteous Pharisee who thinks he's better than others, as if I would have never done what this person did to me. You've done far worse against God, and so have I. And yet he's forgiven us. See, no one can ever sin against you as much as you've sinned against God. And he has forgiven you everything. So don't withhold forgiveness from anyone else, especially your spouse, no matter what they've done to you. Now, let me give you just a a pause here for a few moments and give you a few thoughts about forgiveness, which hopefully will help you to see the big picture and answer some questions and help you to extend mercy to others. First of all, forgiveness does not require that you forget the offense. Often you hear people say things like, well, I can forgive, but I can never forget. Usually, those words are said by someone who really isn't willing to forgive in their hearts, and so they're saying that just trying to justify their wrong attitude. Listen, you don't have to forget. In fact, who can possibly forget? God doesn't expect us to forget. You just can't turn off that part of your brain and pretend that, well, this never happened. That's, that's not reality. Something did happen, and you were hurt deeply by the actions of someone, or your spouse, perhaps. So you can't just forget what was done to you. However, forgiveness means that while you don't forget, you choose to no longer hold this action against the person who sinned against you. It's not how you feel, it's what you choose. You choose to no longer punish them in your mind or in your behavior. You choose to no longer dwell on it, no longer mull it over in your mind and let it grow and grow and grow. You don't punish them anymore. Speaking of punishing others, let me tell you what I used to do to punish people before I was a Christian. When I was growing up, I learned one of the ways I could really punish my mom when we had a conflict was by walking away from her and refusing to talk to her. I gave her the silent treatment. And she hated it, so I did it more. I knew that this would hurt her, and this was my way of paying her back for hurting me and for not letting me get my way. And I was really good at this. Well, then when I was 18 years old, I came to faith in Christ But I carried that behavior into the Christian life. And then I got married to Michelle. And I remember shortly after we were married, we had a heated conflict one night. And um, I walked away from her and I stopped talking to her. 
And she said, and for the first time in my life I was confronted about this, she said, are you giving me the silent treatment? And I lied to her and I said, no, I just don't have anything to say to you. And she said, let me tell you something. I knew I was in trouble as soon as she said that. Let me tell you something. That worked with your mom. It's not going to work with me. So if you want to play your little game, you're going to play it by yourself. And then she closed the door. And you know what, folks? I was stunned. No one had ever called me on this. In fact, up to that point, I wasn't even aware that I did that. But when I became aware of it, I was deeply convicted of my sin. I knew that was totally unacceptable behavior. And now that I knew about it, I just cried out to God to forgive me for this and to change me. And by God's grace, he has. But you see, it was all an attempt to punish people. That's what we do when we don't forgive. We're going to make them pay for it. Some of you do similar things. Maybe you are cold towards someone who's hurt you. Maybe you don't talk to them. Maybe you're aloof. Maybe you speak in a nasty tone to them or you avoid them. Or maybe if you're a wife, you refuse to have sex with your husband because that'll teach him and you're punishing him. Listen, 1 Corinthians 13.5, love keeps no record of wrongs done against us. God doesn't keep a record of wrongs against us. Isaiah 43 verse 25 says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. When God says that he doesn't remember our sins, he certainly doesn't mean that he can't remember them as if he has amnesia. No, God remembers everything. He simply means that he chooses to no longer remember them in the sense that he doesn't hold them against us anymore. Of course God knows all about our sins. Of course he doesn't forget them, but he will no longer recall them in order to punish us. Folks, that's how we're to forgive others. You don't forget, but you choose to stop punishing them. You choose to no longer hold it against them. Remember how much you have been forgiven and choose to no longer hold anyone's sin against them. Secondly, understand that we should always forgive in our hearts Anyone who sins against us, whether or not, note this, whether or not they ask us to forgive them, whether or not they repent, in one sense that's irrelevant as far as our forgiveness is concerned. We are to forgive all who sin against us, whether they're believers, whether they're unbelievers. Now keep that in mind. We are to forgive in our hearts, everyone. But if there is no repentance on the part of the person who sinned against you, it will affect your relationship. Your relationship with them will be affected because they have chosen to continue in their sin. And so your fellowship, your relationship with them is hindered to a certain degree, but your relationship with them should never be hindered because of a refusal on your part to forgive them in your heart. You always should forgive. Let me put it this way. Forgiveness is unconditional, and it is a one-way street. It doesn't matter about the other person's attitude. It's something that we choose to do. But reconciliation, reconciliation does require repentance. And so that makes it a two-way street. I think that's very important to understand. Now, here's a critical question that we need to ask. What if you 
as a fully forgiven child of God, believer in Christ, one of you hear this message, you know what the word says, and yet you choose to harbor anger and malice and resentment in your heart and not forgive someone who has sinned against you? What if you walk out of here, you've heard this message, and you just don't pay attention to this anymore, and you're still harboring, harboring an attitude towards somebody in your heart, not forgiving them? And frankly, that is the case with many Christians. Many Christians, this is what they don't do. They don't forgive others. Well, Jesus is an answer to that scenario, and he does answer it by giving us the third reason we should forgive those who sin against us. Number one, God's forgiveness has no limits. Number two, forgiven sinners are expected to forgive others just as they've been forgiven. But the third reason that our Lord gives in this parable as to why we should forgive others who sin against us is because God will discipline us if we don't forgive others. Verse 31, so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Now, Jesus said that when the other servants saw the way this forgiven man had mistreated the servant who owed him the money, they were deeply grieved about it, and they told the king, they went to the king and told him what happened. And what did the king do when he was told about the behavior of this man that he had just forgiven? Verses 32 through 35. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And this is a fascinating reaction on the part of the king, but it troubles many people because Jesus compared the king's actions to those of God the Father. Yet we read that the king had this forgiven man tortured until he should repay all that was owed to him, and that bothers a lot of Christians because they interpret this to mean that Jesus then was teaching that God the Father will judge in hell those that he's already forgiven And if that's the case, that's a conflict with the rest of Scripture. That's a contradiction with the rest of Scripture. Listen, there is no contradiction here. There is no conflict here. Jesus never said that the torture depicted here was a picture of hell. Never said that. And he never said that a forgiven man could lose his salvation and be unforgiven. Didn't teach that. You have to keep in mind that this parable is not about God's future judgment of unbelievers in hell, but about how believers should forgive their fellow believers. Remember, this is a parable, a story told to Peter, a believer, in answer to his question concerning how many times he should forgive his brother, a believer, who sins against him. And Jesus told him that he should always forgive his brother, and now he's telling them that if Peter, if you don't forgive him, then God will deal with you severely. So what we need to know then is in what way? What is the torture that God the Father inflicts upon those who are forgiven but who don't forgive others? Very simple. It's his hand of discipline. His hand of discipline. The Father chastises and sometimes with great severity believers who refuse to obey him by forgiving others. See, notice that in this parable, the torture that's inflicted upon this man was immediate. It's not something in the future, as hell is a future judgment. Listen closely. The torment 
that God inflicts upon us is the torment that we have created by our own lack of forgiveness towards others. Anger, bitterness, that, that lead to all kinds of physical problems like headaches and ulcers and anxiety, sinful attitudes that place us in self-imposed prisons of resentment, malice, bitterness, lack of joy, lack of peace, stress, and bad marriages. When we refuse to forgive others, we lose all joy in the Christian life, and we're without fellowship with Christ. We also lose our appetite for Scripture. We become, folks, just miserable people. So here's an important question we need to ask. If the king's torture in this parable is not the torment of hell, but of God's discipline for a disobedient child, then why does verse 34 say that the torture shall continue until the man paid what was owed to the king? Didn't this king already forgive the man all of his debt? Yes. And he wasn't rescinding that here because God never rescinds forgiveness. Salvation is eternal. What the king now wanted from this man, watch this, was to give him what he owed him, not as the debt of money, but as a citizen of his kingdom. And what was that? What did he owe him as a citizen of his kingdom? The proper response of forgiving the man who owed him money. That's what he owed him now. In other words, God will continue to discipline us until we repent and give the Lord the obedience that we owe him by forgiving those who sin against us. Our king has told us to forgive others. If we don't obey him in that area, he will discipline us. Now remember how I began this message with the story of Jeremy and Cindy. Jeremy who sinned against his wife by committing adultery. The story goes on to say that eventually Jeremy repented of his sin, went to Cindy and asked her to forgive him. How did Cindy respond? Here in her own words, she says, I knew what God's word said about forgiveness, that I could and should freely forgive in light of Christ's great mercy for me on the cross. Yet I was not able to see my own sin as clearly. And that became a stumbling block for me to extend forgiveness to Jeremy. It was a process that took time and it seemed unbearably slow. At times, I did not think I would make it. Many times I wanted to give up and leave the marriage. I was short-sighted and wanted to stop the pain then and there, which I thought leaving would accomplish. But I was not carefully considering the long-term consequences. By God's grace alone, I did not take that path. I would slip into bitterness often, repent, and start over numerous times. But the more I heard the gospel preached, the more I was able to understand it and apply it to myself. Over time, I began to see my own sinfulness and God's grace and mercy for my sins. It was very hard to look at my own contribution to the breakdown of our marriage. I wanted to just focus on his part and leave the blame there. But God opened my eyes and helped me to see that even as a victim of my husband's sin, I could not claim innocence in my marriage and certainly not before a holy God. The gospel gave me power to forgive my husband. Christ had died for both our sins. Dying in our place and drinking the full cup of God's wrath we both deserve for our sins. Through the revelation of that truth, I was humbled and disarmed. We were more alike than different. From this standing place, forgiveness flowed. 
How that looked practically, though, was not always smooth. There were days when God would break in and reveal the gospel and himself to me in incredible ways. I would experience hope and joy and feel forgiving. Then there were the mundane times, the day in and day out, when I did not feel anything, yet God taught me not to rely on my feelings, but on his grace to me on the cross. This, I would come to realize, was a fundamental change in my character that God desired to do in me, to become gospel-centered and live my life out of that center. How about you? We sang before that wonderful song, Beneath the Cross, and you, you said to the Lord in singing, I promise I will live beneath the cross. Part of living beneath the cross is to forgive others. That's what the cross is all about. Payment and forgiveness, it's already been met. You don't have to make anybody pay for their sin. It's taken care of. So how about you? Have you forgiven your spouse? Or anybody else? Some of us have grown up with difficult fathers. Have you forgiven them in your hearts? Somebody you work with who torments you, bothers you. Have you forgiven them? Listen, as I've said in pretty much every message in this series, today, not tomorrow, you need to sit down with your spouse And openly discuss this. Is there anything between you? Is there any sin that you need to forgive? Is there anything you're holding against them? Anything that's causing a barrier? Remove it today. Forgive. And be free. And don't don't wait till tomorrow because you go out of here, you have your lunch, and and it may just slip your mind. While it's fresh in your mind, deal with this. Deal with it today. If you're having a hard time forgiving, just remember the gospel. How much you've been forgiven. And remember, forgiveness, as someone said, is pardoning the unpardonable, or it just isn't forgiveness at all. They don't minimize their sin. They sinned against you. Forgive. Forgive. Now, if you've never been forgiven by God yourself, then this is a foreign concept to you. You can't forgive until you're forgiven. But you can be forgiven by coming to Christ for salvation as a broken sinner convicted of your sin, admitting that you have incurred an unpayable debt of sin, repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and turn to Christ and trust him alone for your salvation. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we are indeed grateful for this passage of scripture. Lord, so helpful, so convicting. I pray that each one who hears this will receive it absorb it, apply it, implement it, and be set free of the self-imposed prison that we so often bring into our own lives. Lord, I pray that this this message, this series, will have a profound impact on husbands and wives. I pray that those who know you will be responsive to the word of God, not relying on how they feel, not their emotions, but on the sheer word of God. And Lord, I pray for, for those here who don't know you, perhaps raised in a Christian home, perhaps raised in a, a Christian church, but they've never really surrendered to Christ. I pray that you'll open their eyes to that truth and they will come to you in repentance and true, genuine faith and submission. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How about you? Are you struggling with forgiveness? It's not easy, that's for sure, but it is oh so important. 
both for our marriages and for all our other relationships. If you'd like to talk to someone about how to forgive or how to be forgiven, I'll have a number for you to call in just a moment. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. If you want to talk about forgiveness or just want to find out about worship times, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go to Lakeside's website, lakesidechapel.com. And a reminder, these messages are available on audio CD if you'd like to listen to them without interruption. Call Lakeside and ask for message 8880, Marriage and Forgiveness. The phone number again is 727-441-1714. You can also listen again to today's broadcast or any of our previous ones by going online to versebyverseradio.org and then clicking on the audio archive page. While the files are free, the airtime is not, so if you'd like to help with those costs, there's a giving page on our website that is secure and convenient. We're very grateful for the generous listeners who make these Bible classes of the air possible. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will have some tips on preparing for marriage as we examine one of the most famous romances in history. (music) 